Right. Well, good morning. Yeah, I know, right? This, of course, is uh, daylight savings, and uh, we all lost an hour's sleep. I, I Believe me, I feel your pain, right? And, and i got to be honest, I, I don't understand all the reasoning behind it, right? So I guess you'd say I'm just still in the dark. <laughs> yeah? You see what I did there, the whole, yeah. Um, well, that's it. Let's jump in this morning. You never know how they're going to go. You know, sometimes you just throw them out there, and, you know, it's like a grenade. It'll go or not, but uh, sometimes they pop. Uh, let's look this morning. My, I, my intention and my preparation uh, these past week, um, more than a week, uh, was really for us to cover all the way through Genesis chapter 17, 15, 16, and 17. And I did that, and I did my preparation. I looked at my notes, and I said, there's just no way we can do it all. But that is kind of one, uh, as I said, there, there are individual narratives within the study of the patriarchs here in Genesis, and, and it does really play through those, uh, but what I want us to do is focus primarily then this morning on chapters 15 and 16, and then we'll pick up on 17 next week uh, as, as we continue on. But if you open your Bibles this morning, or you can open the, the study notes that we gave to you, or the church app, all the text is in there, however you get there, uh, but you find your way of diving into the Word this morning, and we're going to begin in chapter 15 of Genesis. Moses writes this, beginning in verse 1. After these events, the word, well, let me stop there for, I know I barely got going, right? Uh, but he, he, said, he begins, he says, now after these events, let me remind you, chapter 14, uh, that we looked at very briefly last week, um, but chapter 14 was that time when uh, the tag-along lot, right, finally went out on his own, right? He said, we, we got we to divide, our, the, the, the herdsmen were quarreling, right? And he says, you find your land, I'll find mine. He looks to Sodom, moves near Sodom, right? Well, as time goes on then, what we find, or what we found in, in chapter 14, uh, was that there was, now, now, saw, now he was now not living near Sodom, but Lot was actually living in Sodom, right? And there was, there was a war, a battle for, you know, five kings picking on four kings in their kingdom. Lot gets captured, word gets back to Abram. Abraham gathers a few hundred of his men. He goes out and just whoops them, right? And, and gets all the captives back, but also gets the plunders of the war. And as he's coming back, everybody's really wanting to just laud him, talk, man, look what you did, and, and praise Abraham. And, uh, Abram, and, and he's gonna, he has none of it. Right? And he says he's not going to allow himself to get the glory, the credit, but, but wants to make sure that it is God who gets the glory for his victories and his success. And then in doing so, he encounters Melchizedek. We spoke about him last week. Uh, and then he there gives his tie to them to show that this is from God. Everything that I have been given is because God blessed me and he gives that 10th pack. So then when it says in chapter 15, after these events, that's what it's referring to from chapter 14. So let's keep reading. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now here we see Abram coming off that great victory, making sure God gets all the glory. He's received that promise from God, but here he questions God's promise of an heir. You know what I mean? It's been 10 years since he got that promise from God, and, and Abraham here says, what? You know, I mean, he begins to question, right? He says, Lord, what can you give me, right? I'm still childless. Yeah, you had told me that, but, but I don't have it yet. And, and I want to pause here for a second because here, here's what I want us to see. You know, being a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're never going to have questions for God. It doesn't mean that you'll never 
question God or even the promises of God. In fact, I believe the more you get to know God, the more questions you'll have. Right? I mean, at first, when, when, when you come to, to, to understand the gospel message, the weight of your sins, the, the blessings that God, that's enough. You know, you, 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 we really just kind of live in those early years of just being awestruck that God, a holy God, would look on a sinner like me, give his son to die for me, and then guarantee me an eternal life with him in heaven. We're just kind of awestruck about that. But then as we continue to grow and as we understand that love even more, as our relationship grows with our Heavenly Father, it becomes a lot like our uh, child father or child parent relationships that, that we have on earth. And as you grow, the, the questions become more, right? Anybody raise some kids here? Kids are just a bank of questions, aren't they? I mean, from the earth, you know, at the earliest time, kind of like in our infancy with, with Christ and with God, listen, you, you set them down, you lock them into that little seat thing near your table, you open a jar of just absolute nasty, right? Like pureed cabbage and, 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 and turkey livers or, you know, whatever. Just, just you know, nasty stuff. I don't know about y'all, too. I always had to smell it before you give it to the kids. And I had to tell I had to know, you know, and you just get, and it's just awful, just awful what you give to them, except for uh, like the plum stuff was good. But, uh, but you know, you, you open that little jar up and take that little spoon and you stick it in. They just open that mouth, stick it in. Right? No, it's like, like feeding a bird, right? The mouth just opens up and you pop it in and you go through the jars. You just feed, they don't question anything. Then they get older. And now you spend half your paycheck at the grocery store to provide food for these children, right? You spend hours preparing this food, laying it out on the table, waiting for the, and then they sit down and tell you, I'd rather have pizza. Can't we have chicken nuggets? What's this? I don't like that. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Hey, can, we, can I just do dessert? Right? All these questions. Why do I have to eat that? What is that? What does it taste like? What's it good for? You know, that's what happens, right? As kids grow, thank goodness for Siri, by the way, right? Because before Siri came on the scene, parents had to answer every question. Now the kids just ask Siri, right? So what, what, what a blessing, right? Um, but they do, you know, the, the, the questions just grow. Well, that, that's kind of the way it is with our relationship with our Heavenly Father also. As we grow together in this relationship, there's oftentimes we're going to have more questions. And then after this, Abraham appears now to come up with his own plan. He says, God, I, what, what can you give me? I, I don't have a child. I'm still, we're still childless. And then he says, so I guess I'm going to have to come up with his own plan, and Eliezer is going to have to be my heir. Now, it gives us a little bit of information about Eliezer of Damascus, that it was literally someone who was born into his household. Remember I said that as Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans, and he took with him family, extended family, but he and his wife Sarai, they, they had yet to have children of their own, but they also had many employees, right? These were servants and slaves that, uh, that were uh, part of now their family, Right? And so it was typical then at that time, if you did not have children, if someone was born amongst the, uh, the servants or the slaves or, or in essence the household employees that you had, then they would actually be part of your family. And so if you didn't have an heir, you could choose from one who had been born within your household. So he says, I, I guess, God, that's what I'm going to have to do. You, you told me about this plan. You, 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 know, you told me that, that I would have, have, have descendants, just numerous descendants, but I guess I'm going to have to settle for one of my household slaves who was born to me. And then following that, it, it, in essence, what he's doing, he's saying, listen, God, I'll just have to take, take this into my own hands. 
right? I'll just have to take care of this myself. You, you had told me I would have a child, but he's just not here yet, so, so here's what I'm going to do, right? Let, let's keep reading then, verse 4. Now, the word of the Lord came to him. This one, talking about Eliezer, will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. Now, remember, he had told me, you're going to have descendants, right? Uh, and, and so he said, well, I guess it's just going to have to be uh, an, an heir from the household. But now he's specifically, no, listen, he is going to come from you, from your loins. Verse 5, he took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. Verse 6, this is one to highlight or underline or, or notate in some fashion. Abram believed the Lord. And he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, Lord, God, how can I know that I will possess it? And here, God gives Abram this wake-up call, right? In his he says, listen, I gave you the land, right? I, I, look, look around, man. I, I told you you'd have this, and you do, and you're here. I'll give you a child too. If you remember back in chapter 13 and verse 16, when he was telling him about this promise, this child that he would have, he said, Abram, look down at the ground. Look at that. Look at all the dust on the ground. Abram, can you count the dust? Well, of course not, God. Well, that's what your descendants are going to be like. They're going to be more than that. Now here in chapter 15 and verse 5, 10 years later, he tells him this. He says, Abram, look up at the stars. Abram, can you count the stars? One, two, three. Wait, did I get that one? No, I missed it. Yeah, he's trying to count. He says, God, I can't count the stars. God says, that, that is what your lineage will be. Now, I know it's hard for us sometimes to understand. You look up in the star in the, the sky in Murfreesboro, and you see some stars, right? There's typically some stars there. But the truth is, there's a lot of stars up there. We can't see them because of all the city light that's around us, and it kind of glares that and prevents us from seeing what's there. But you ever been out in the country on a, on a starry night, and you look up, man, we, and I mean, it is just the sky is littered with stars, right? Why? Because there's no city lights blocking that, right? Or, or maybe you go out, man, if you've ever been in a desert or something like that, where there's nothing around, and at nighttime, stars just everywhere, well, that's what Abram would have seen. He, he would have seen all those stars. And so what God is saying, Abram, listen, I'm telling you, look down or look up. It's going to be more than the dust. It's going to be more than the stars. That's how I'm going to bless you through the one that will come from you. And so then following that, after God once again reminds us of this promise of this blessing to come, we have verse 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. That, that word there for believe, the Hebrew, it, it's a verb. And the Hebrew verb there is amin. And it means to confirm or to affirm something, to, to be in agreement. Just like we say at the end of a prayer now, amen. Right? It's that same thing that I agree, I, I confirm with that. It's interesting, in America, we wait until the end of the prayer to say that. Right? But that's not the case in much of the world. In fact, I remember in some of our early, um, the, the first mission trip I ever went on was preaching at a little church. And again, you, man, I know you could, this is going to bring back memories to you and, and others that have been to Romania with us in, in years past. And you get up, and, and whether you're praying or someone else is praying, man, I mean, about every third word, you're going to hear somebody popping up, amen, amen, um, the, through the whole prayer. 
And every time you say something, they're just saying, man, I agree. I affirm that. Yes, that is good. That, that is a promise of God. And that's what that word is, to believe, is, is to confirm and to affirm that promise of God, to be in agreement. Later in, in Romans chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, Paul would write this. If Abraham was justified by works, well, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes, I mean, on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith in is credited for righteousness. Verse 6 there would, would go on to be quoted in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6 as well as James 2.23. And what he's saying here, what, what Paul's reminding us is that righteousness is the reward of faith. Believing. Abram believed. And because of his belief, not his works, not what he did, but because of his belief, he was found to be righteous. And here's what we see both in the Old Testament and the New Testament today. People were saved the exact same way. It was no different for Abram than it is for us today. In the Old Testament, they believed in the coming of the Messiah, the, the promise of the God, the, the one who would save. Today, we believe that he came, right? They looked forward in their belief to the promise of God that he would forgive their sins. We look back and believe that he did come in both both the salvation of Old Testament and today, the same faith is based on the same object of our faith, and that is Jesus Christ. So it has always been by believing through faith that you are saved. And then following what is probably the most well-known verse on faith in the entire Bible, certainly the most well-known in the Old Testament, right? Coming right out of that, verse 8, Abram says, but, I believe, but, but God, how can I know for sure? I mean, I, the, the greatest verse on faith, and then immediately after that, God, I, I believe he's credited as righteousness. Yeah, but hey, God, let, but, but let me ask you this. How can I know for sure? But, and, and as I was reading that, I couldn't help but to be reminded of Mark chapter 9 and verse 24. Mark tells us that this story of, of a man who had a son who was demon-possessed his whole life. And it was a horrific demon that was inside of him, and it would throw the young boy down on the ground. And If there was a fire, a lot of times it would throw him into the fire, and he would burn himself. And this poor dad just lived his life, kind of arms around his child all the time, wanting to protect him because they never knew when the demon would just kind of manifest itself and, and, and hurt the child. Well, Jesus is coming on the scene one day, and, and the man knows about it. And, and, and the man asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, if you can help him. Do you remember that story? Jesus interrupted him and said, if, if I can do it. Hey, listen, everything is possible if you'll believe. That same word. If you will believe, then it'll be possible. And do you remember the man's response? I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, Jesus. I know you can, but help my unbelief. Listen, there are times when, when our faith is not perfect, but the object of our faith is. That man in great honesty says, I do believe. I know you can. I just don't know if you will. 
Listen, there, there are times when we fall on that. Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Help me through this time. Help me through this trial. I do believe, but I made this mistake. I know I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyway. Like Paul, I'm doing the things I don't want to do, and I'm not doing the things that I should do, but I do believe. But help me, Lord. Our faith is not perfect, but the object of our faith is. I know some of you here today, you're, you're kind of like Abram, and maybe you're struggling in that weight. You're waiting. You believe you have a promise of God. You believe God is going to do something, but you're waiting and waiting. Did you know Abraham would wait 25 years? 25 years on this promise. And for Abraham, what we see over and over, it wasn't easy. Either he had times of questioning, he had times of doubting, he had times of turning away even. It wasn't easy, but it was worth it. It was worth the wait. And I read this, and I don't know about you, but I have to ask the question, why did God make him wait? I mean, why would God make He could have given him a son instantly, right? I mean, the God who took a handful of dust and made Adam, the God who caused Adam to fall asleep, took a rib out of Eve and, and made woman, took a rib out of Adam and made Eve a woman, certainly he could have immediately given a child, placed a child in Sarah's womb. Why did he wait? Because, friends, in that waiting time, God was increasing Abram's faith. Abram, the great patriarch. Abram, who, Abram, who was notated as, as a friend of God. The father Abram was still growing in his faith. Because he wasn't ready. God made him wait for that child, Isaac, that would come because he wasn't ready for that child. Hey, listen, I want to tell you something. When, when we had three kids in the house, all involved in three different sports, and we were, I don't know, y- y- anybody, anybody there right now? Anybody been there, right? Kids going to the helicopter parents, what they call it now, like you just going like crazy. I've said before, like I didn't think we had an alarm clock for a long time. It was more like a starter's pistol in the morning. Like, pew, you know, and just let's go get it, right? You go there and you drop this one off and I'm going to go drop that one off. And once they get going, I'll go pick that one up and I'll take them over there. Man, we were just driving ourselves crazy. I remember during that time, I, just, I couldn't wait for the kids to start driving. I said, oh, man, when they turn 16. And then they, they can go to their own practices. They, you know, they can pick each other up and, and drop them off. I couldn't wait for them to turn 16 to be able to drive to help me out. But I didn't hand them keys when they were 12 years old. Now, I wanted it. I wanted it bad. But I wasn't willing to give them keys. Why? Because they weren't ready. They weren't ready for the. I was ready for them to do it, but they weren't ready to take possession of that car. Today, my kids are 18, 20, and 24. I still have some doubts whether, you know, how ready they are, but especially with, with one. But, uh, you know, things happen. No matter how ready I was for them to drive, so they could go to those places, so they could get to their own practices on time, so I wouldn't have to, uh, to leave here. I could stay late at work, or I could do other things. No matter how ready I was, and no matter how ready those 15-year-olds thought they were to drive, oh, I got it, Dad, I can do this, right? Teaching your kids to drive. Man, you're you talking about an exercise in patience, right, amen? Just, man, is there anything worse in the world? I, I, just, I don't know, I'm not sure what it is, right? And I can remember, I take my kids, we, we always did, uh, and I recommend it to everyone, we start at the church parking lot. Right? When there's no cars here and everything, but light poles, you got places you can park. So we, we drive around, eventually you go out to the street. And I remember one of my daughters in particular that uh, 
when, when I was working with her, right? And so we'd just be driving through the church parking lot on, on, the, on the little, little fairways right through here. And, and she would just like ease on over into the other lane. Say, Mace, we pull it. Oh, that's who it was, right? Uh, and pull it back. What are, what are you doing? You know? And she, she would giggle. <laughs> I said, this isn't funny. You just killed someone. Oh, Dad. That's what this is. You know, we're going to be out on the road. But, you, but eventually, right, the time came. After all the waiting, after all the testing, the preparing, the praying, the praying, and the, you know, after all of this, they finally got ready, and you, and you give them the keys, right? And today, they just jump in that car, and they take off. Don't think anything about it. Today, I'll jump in the passenger seat with them, Right? Put on my seatbelt and my helmet, and I don't think twice about it, right? Just, you just go, right? Because they're, well, they're prepared. You know, you took that time. They're, they're ready to drive. I know we think this also. But not only was God preparing Abram, preparing Sarah to, to be the parents to Isaac, but when we put ourselves in his position, I, I think we land at this place too. We all think, you know, I wish God would just reveal the future to me. I wish I just knew what was going to happen tomorrow. Man, I could handle this issue if I knew what was going to happen. I could handle this disease if I knew how this was going to play out. If I just knew the future, if I just knew tomorrow, what it was going to bring, if I knew how this was going to play out, then I could walk with faith. Can I tell you something? No, you don't. No, you wouldn't. You, friends, you don't want to know what tomorrow brings. I'm telling you, in my times of greatest trials, in my times of the greatest, most difficult suffering a person can imagine, now as I look back on those times, I'm telling you, I'm glad I didn't know what the next day brought. I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad God didn't reveal that to me because if he had, I don't know that I could have faced the tomorrow. If I knew what tomorrow brought, I don't know that I could have faced it. And I'm so thankful that he didn't reveal it to me. I'm so thankful that just in that moment, I simply trusted him. I leaned on my faith and I I believed that regardless of what tomorrow holds, I knew that he held tomorrow. And it was good enough. We don't need to know what tomorrow brings. Because we know who brings tomorrow. Amen? It was 25 years from the promise that God gave Abram to the birth of Isaac that we'll look at next week. Now, what I want you to see in that time, 25 years of waiting, 25 years of making mistakes as well, but in that time of waiting, it was not a punishment from God, it was a preparation from God. And by the way, Abram could only see to Isaac. That was it. He was asking for this blessing God had promised him but all he could see was that boy my heir but you know God was seeing all the way through Isaac to his son who would be born from that same genealogy Jesus Christ God had a bigger plan than Abram could even fathom all throughout that time of waiting hey something else we see here listen if you want to be a spiritual giant I'm telling you you're likely going to experience some giant-sized suffering in your life you are. Hey, search the scriptures. You find me a giant of the faith, Old Testament or New Testament, that they didn't have some giant-sized trials. Why? Because God's preparing them to be used by him for the kingdom. And sometimes we face those also. 
You know, Psalm 23 doesn't say, I won't go through the valley of the shadow of death, does it? It, it? it doesn't say that at all. But what it does tell us is that He's there with us in the middle of it, right? He will be there through. Not that you won't face it, but when you face those times, when you're in that dark shadow of death, listen, in those moments, He's there. You got company. And I love, by the way, it doesn't say that he, he takes us to the valley. Like we're walking with God, and then when things get really bad, he bells out on us. He doesn't walk us to the valley. He doesn't walk us from the valley, meaning this. Um, he waits until we're at our lowest moment before he even encounters or engages us. And at that moment, he's with us from the valley. No, the psalmist says that he's with me through the valley. Before I get to those dark times, in the midst of them, and on the other side. In this room right now, I'm looking at, there are people in here, you're battling illness, disease, cancer, early death of loved ones, separation, divorce. I mean, we, we could just go on and on, couldn't we? And here's what I want us to see. God is the God of through. He will see you through, even when you can't see Him. He's there. Abram wanted to take things, matters into his own hands. He wanted to take care of this, but, you know, sometimes I think we do that too. When those dark times, we think, well, if I, if I do this, then I, I can get over this, I can get through this, I can get past this. But, you know, I've never heard someone say, man, I tell you what, walking away from the Lord is the best thing for my marriage. I've never heard that. I've seen some marriages get, get turned around. I've seen God do a miraculous work in marriages because they gave it over and trusted and believed in Him. I've heard somebody say, well, I, when we left the Lord, that's, that's when things got right for us. Or, man, that affair was so helpful. Just fixed everything in my life. Made it great. Or that, that drug addiction. That, that, that's what did it. Man, when I was really struggling, got on those drugs, everything got great. All the things we turned to, no. But God can. God can see us through. Let's look at chapter 16. Abram now 85 years old. Sarah now 75 years old. Genesis chapter 16. says, Abram's wife, Sarah, had not borne any children for him, but she owned an Egyptian slave named Hagar. Sarah said to Abram, since the Lord has prevented me from bearing child, children, go to my slave. Perhaps through her I can build a family. And Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, her Egyptian slave, and gave her to her husband Abram as a wife for him. This happened after Abram had lived in the land of Canaan ten years. He slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. When she saw that she was pregnant, her mistress became contemptible to her. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for my suffering. I put my slave in your arms. And when she saw that she was pregnant, I became contemptible to her. May the Lord judge between me and you. Abram replied to Sarah, Here, your slave is in your power. Do whatever you want with her. And Sarah mistreated her so much that she ran away from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring in the wilderness, the spring of the valley to Shur. He said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She replied, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Go back to your mistress. And submit to her authority. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, and they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her, You have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael, 
For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy. For she said, In this place I have actually seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Bir Laharoi. It is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar gave birth to Abram's son, and Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. Now, Sarah, we have this kind of plays out. Sarah decides, just like Abram, I think I'll try to take matters into my own hand. He wanted to with someone already born in the house, but I think I'll do that too. And notice what she says there, so that I can build a family for myself. The eyes and minds here. Sarah said, I can do this. I want to do this. This for me, right? She, she's taking matters in her own hand. And she comes up with this crazy idea to Abram. I mean, like straight out of Jerry Springer, right? He said, I know. I've got this Egyptian. like, why don't you have her? And then we'll have that son of ours, right? Now, again, the Bible is not condoning this, but God did allow it. You read this and you think, okay, maybe she was just wanting him to man up, right? To say, absolutely not. So I, I would never look to another woman. I, I would never do that. Maybe she was just giving him that opportunity. Or maybe she was giving him the opportunity to, to be that spiritual leader to say, listen, Sarah, God's got this. He's given us this promise. He's going to take care of this. We, we don't need to do this. Maybe that was her thought process. And what does Father Abram say? Okay. Right? Anything for you, dear. Right? I mean, hey, uh, yeah, if I have to, all right, I, you know, I'll, I'll sleep with this younger woman. Right? He does it. Now, the truth is, what I believe we see played out here, Sarah was following Abram's lead. I mean, she, she was doing the same thing he did. He pimped her out in Egypt. Remember that? He was afraid he was going to get hurt by, by Pharaoh. So what does he do? He says, well, here, you go stay in the harem, and, and then that'll be better for you and for me. Right? And now she's just returning the faith. She's doing the same thing to him, right? What he did now, she's doing. And then notice, after all this goes down, look what Sarah says to him. It's your fault. You did this. And you know Abram, he's a man. He's thinking, what? I, I thought you told me. I did what you said, right? I did this for you, Sarah. I, did, I was thinking of you the whole time. I, I did this for you. Kind of like Egypt. You go be in that harem, really, this is better for you. And guys, let me, let me say something here. If your wife ever asks you if another woman is attractive, it's not a legitimate question. There's no options. There's no opinions here. She really doesn't care about that. It's simply an opportunity for you, right, to affirm her beauty. That's what that's about. It's not, is she attractive? It's how attractive am I? Ladies, am I lying? Now, Guys, I promise, it's not a legitimate question. It's like when your wife asks you, you know, she's nine and a half months pregnant, and asks you, do I look big? All right? That's not a legitimate question. You, you can't answer that one honestly, right? It just it, it doesn't work, right? You, you have to be able to identify 28 years of marriage, right? And I've learned, especially decorating our house, anything to do with the house, when she asks my opinion, it's not really a question. Right? And I'll say this in the second service with her sitting there too, I promise you. Right? It's not. Right? And, and so what I have learned to do, because early on, I thought 
a question was a question, right? I didn't understand, you know, the, uh, the, the female brain to the depths that I do now, right? Like, which is so shallow, but um, my understanding. But so, so now, you know, she asked my, what do you think about these colors, right? Well, baby, what's your, they're all great. I, man, I, I love them all. Which one's your favorite? And then when she tells me, I always say, mine too, right? <laughs> That's what she's looking for. It's, it's, not, it's not a legitimate question, right? Absolutely. I'm off base. Where's my notes? Um, so here we go. Now, Hagar, Abram did what his wife asked, shouldn't have, wasn't a legitimate question, right? But, but he does it. Hagar's now carrying the heir of the wealthy old man. And I'm sure that she was probably flaunting it. You know, she hey, she's looking around at everything they have. This is going to be mine. The child in me is going to inherit all this. And, and Abram, he can't have much life left in him, right? So this is going to be ours. And so there's strife then between her and Sarai, right? And so because of that, it says that Sarai goes to Abram, and Abram just pawns it off and says, hey, you deal with her. You know, she's your slave. And she does. And she does very harshly. In fact, theologians believe because of the wording that's used there that Sarai likely even beat her. She her so badly that she runs away. Now, here's the irony. Notice how it says that she was an Egyptian slave right? She was from Egypt. She was likely acquired, almost certainly acquired, she would have been acquired at the time that Abram and Sarah went to Pharaoh's home. At the time of that great lie, when they went to the place, instead of staying where they were and believing on the promise of God, that, that, that standing in their faith that he would take care of them, they go to the place where God didn't want them to go to Egypt. And now they brought something out with them. And now that becomes the object of the issue. So Hagar then, she's headed back to her homeland. She's going back to Egypt. Now again, the irony, she's going back to a pagan place to be treated better than in the home of a righteous couple. And that's where she, she's off. Verses 9 through 12 then, we see this as she's on this journey, as, she, as she's leaving, we have a, a, what is known as a theophany or a Christophany, right? And it's just a manifestation of, of God or, or a pre-incarnate Christ. And we know that because notice what it says, not an angel of the Lord, but look, the angel of the Lord, all caps, right? It is the angel. It is a pre-incarnate a God or Jesus Christ. And in verses 11 through 12, Ishmael, we see where the child that's in her, notice that, had a name and had a destiny from God, still in the womb. This child is still in the womb of Hagar. And yet God gives that child a name. God gives that child even a destiny. Now, his destiny is this. He says he's going to be like a donkey. Now, don't, don't, don't get that confused with a, with a big mule, you know, that pulls stuff. And donkeys are, are a lot smaller, stouter, right? And they are wild. A donkey, is, it, it, matter of fact, they're mean, right? It, 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 people that have livestock a lot of times will actually put a donkey or two in with the rest of their livestock to protect them. Hey, if you've got cattle and things, you put a donkey out there. Hey, if a coyote or a wolf or something comes in, that donkey will go to that thing. It will nose it. It will kick it. And, or at least it will begin baying so loud that everybody in the whole community can hear this thing, right? They're just, they're wild animals. You, you, just, you can't tame them. And he says, that, that's what Ishmael will be. And friends, we see that same hostility today. More than 4,000 years later, the hostility between the Arabs, the descendants of Ishmael, and the Jews, the descendants of Isaac, still today. 
Now, one of the last things I want us to see. You know, in Scripture, God regularly names people. We see that here. He gave Ishmael in the womb a name. But did you know this is the only place in all of Scripture where someone actually names God? This Egyptian impregnated slave girl actually gives a name to God. El Roy, the God who sees. This, this woman who was destitute, who had been run out of her place, who, who basically had nowhere to go, was impregnated, and yet she came to that place, and when God encountered her, she said, I know who you are. You're the God who sees even me. My friend, can I tell you something? Regardless of your situation right now, regardless of the weight, God sees you. He knows you. He knows your situation. He sees you. And you know, I think we see ourselves in their lives. When we look at Abram, it's kind of like that, that, that car that's out of alignment. That, that's what Abraham is. Right? He just kind of keeps veering off. You know what lane you're supposed to be in. It's striped. It's there for you. But the car is out of alignment. It keeps drifting off. That's what we see in Abram's life. And we also see this tendency of mankind to, to want to be, have a works-based righteousness. Both Sarah and Abraham, but both of them kind of taking matters into their own hands. After God had given them a promise. Friends, God desires a faith-based righteousness. Believe by faith, not works, and you will be saved. Let's end where we began. 15.6, Abram believed, amen, the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. You know, 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says this, For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is God's yes to us. Every promise of God can be found in Him, in Christ, if we believe. So what promises do we have in Christ? Here they are. You ready? Jesus is all-powerful. Matthew 28. I've got these on the screen, I believe, too. Jesus is all-powerful, Matthew 28, 18. He is all-knowing, Colossians 2, 3. He is all-loving, 1 John 4, 8. He is gentle, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. He is merciful, Hebrews 2, 17. He is forgiving, Luke 23, 34. He is the great physician, John 6, 2. He raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11, verse 43. He is the way, the truth, and the life found in John 14, 6. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, Hebrews 13, 8. He was buried and raised on the third day, 1 Corinthians 15, 4. He is coming back again, Matthew 24, 30, and he will wipe away every tear, Revelation 21, 4. That is the promise. That is our amen if we believe. Friends, are you believing in the promised one of God?